Welcome to Tech Breakfast, today's top headlines served hot by your host Aaron Bewley and Tyler Gates. So grab your coffee and let's get into it. All right, it's Tuesday, July 2nd. This day is the midpoint of a normal year because there are 182 days before and 182 days after it. And the exact time for the middle of the year is at noon, unless, like the US, you're in a country that uses daylight savings time. If you're in a country that does do this, the exact time for the middle of the year would be 1 p.m. if you're in the Northern Hemisphere and 11 a.m. if you're in the Southern Hemisphere. That'd be when there's 182 days and 12 hours behind you and 182 days and 12 hours ahead of you. There you go. There's your fun fact to kick this one That's off. How are you doing, Tyler? pretty fancy. Yeah. You would think like maybe the end of the day on June 30th or sometime Wait, on July 1st or something. Is that true this year, though? Yeah, it's true every year. year except for leap years, and this is not this a leap is a, year. This is a leap year. This is a leap this was, year? This was a leap year. Yeah, we had the 29th of February. It's it's on the fours, right? Is it? Oh, I'm pretty man. sure this year's a leap year. It's I got to go back year? in the calendar now. February 29th. Yeah, you're 2020. right. 2020. Okay, well. The internet right, lied to so, you. So, yeah. Well, no, the internet didn't lie. I, I said <laughs> on normal years. Oh. So, on non-leap year years, that's the case, right. but not, not this year. There's you, there's you, an extra day behind you. You tossed in a caveat, and it was solid. Oh, my gosh. Good catch. I just realized what? that Windows 10, I assume, and I wonder if this is everybody, as other listeners will have to let me know if this happened, they changed the icon for the calculator. Yeah. Like yesterday or today. Like, okay. it just happened. I don't know when that happened, but my Before calculator, the icon doesn't look the same anymore. <laughs> Mind blown. Okay. Well, we got a ton of well, news yeah, we got to get like, through. I, I just, I, I didn't notice. I don't, I mean, I use my calculator enough and I just noticed that it changed. That's very sneaky, okay. Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we can fly through some of this stuff, but there's a lot of interesting things this morning. We don't have to get into this, but uh, I'm curious if you have any comments. I just feel like I have to ask because your company is buying another company. Ah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, to focus on disaster recovery in the cloud. It's actually an HCI startup. So I, I, I imagine that you being an HCI specialist um, were positioned against them here and there. But uh, yeah, do well, do you have any comments? It, no, no, I am excited about it. I think I think it's neat. Um, I, in in particular, and right, so the HCI specialty uh, it'll always be part of me. But I have I no longer you know I'm not part of that business unit in VMware. But VMware's made a lot of changes around it, which is really neat to see happening. Um, they started by merging what used to be storage and availability with the uh, Cloud Foundation or Software Defined Data Center um, organization. Then they merged those two combined organizations with the core platforms, which is now called Cloud Platforms Division. And there's you know there's a bunch of VMware jargon piled up in that, but basically the HCI business unit um, is now like core VMware inclusive. So it's a single very large management R&D structure. And the purchase of Datrium, which is what you're referring to, um, is actually the first storage slanted purchase that VMware's made in a while. And, and I'm really excited to see it for a couple of reasons. One, Datrium had a pretty impressive and mature stack for DR as a service. Two, it was always associated or usually, I don't know, I put an asterisk next to always, but with uh, VMware's VMC on AWS offering, um, but more important than anything else is that I, I think what they did with DR as a service is something 
most of my customers have been looking for. And then just as a note, I didn't run into Daytrium as often in the actual HCI on-prem space. And I'm kind of curious to see what happens there um, from a technology perspective. I, I have a feeling VMware isn't going to go offering to HCI solutions. Um, so I'm sure that no. will bristle some feathers, which is always unfortunate. But I, I think it was a great move. And I think the IP will bring a lot of value to customers. And it will be exciting to talk about it. And I hope that Atrium folks are excited to actually reach out to a couple of uh, SEs yeah. that I'd worked with in the past. Because that was and that was always an interesting conversation to have, right? We'd get on the phone, kind of do cooperative campaigns uh, around DR as a service, but then there's this big old elephant in the room, which is we compete directly for the storage business. Sure. <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah, let's not talk about that. Yeah. Let's let's yeah, talk yeah. about solving problems, which is totally cool. But no, I think it's neat. I think it's a it says a lot about VMware's HCI strategy going forward that they're investing more in it. Which yeah, awesome. it also says a lot about uh, the importance of disaster recovery and the importance, I would say, to the as-a-service model, right? Yeah. And the cloudification of things and the sassification of things. Well, man, and DR as a service, that's one, it is not trivial at all to solve DR problems. They're extremely complicated. But very few companies want to spend all of the capital necessary to keep a cold site, even if it's not actually cold, if they if they go and they add some other complexity and they create something that's active-active, right? There are mm-hmm. going to be limitations. But generally speaking, you, you have a lot more gear than you need to run day-to-day operations yeah. if you own the gear to run an ADR situation. Is it critical and necessary? Yeah, absolutely. And, and most large enterprises or anybody that can measure how much they lose by being down for a few hours or a day is going to, to have that as part of their ecosystem. But being able to do that as a pilot light, where you don't have to pay out of pocket for everything necessary to run, and then you pay when you need it, and when you need DR, you need yeah. DR, right? That's yeah. pretty slick. And yeah. so uh, getting to that point where you have somebody else creating a hyperscale environment that can elastically absorb what you need in an instant, quote-unquote, is going to solve a lot of problems that have a lot of dollars and cents tied to it. And, and so, yeah, DR as a service is, is a big one, but it's, it hasn't, it's not easy. Right. So yeah, it's going to be a big, uh, big play for the hybrid factor in all this. For well, sure. Right? So, and that's, and Daytrium's got a lot of IP there. So I'm excited about yeah. what VMware is going to do with it. Awesome. Okay. Well, let's move on. Uh, we got about 14 minutes left in the show. Sorry. This is going to be a short one. Uh, short a lot of stuff. Okay. So Google glass, thank you for your, Thoughts on that, though, by the way, kind of just being in-house over there and all that. Yeah. Uh, Google Glass bought a company based in Canada. Ah, this is North, right? North. Yeah. 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 I saw I saw quite a bit about this. I'm excited about that, too. Yeah. So they were just winding down Focals 1.0, and they were preparing to launch Focals 2.0 uh, right as they were acquired. And anybody who prepaid for Focals 2.0, you're getting your money back, and they're not really saying, hey... You know, here's our plans because they're getting ingested into Alphabet and their IP will go that way. And uh, we'll see more on Google Glass. So when I was initially looking at this, I was like, oh, okay, cool. So we'll get a Google Glass 2. But then I looked it up and I realized you can, I mean, Google Glass already exists. Uh, yeah. Google Glass Enterprise. Huh. So their, their second edition launched in May of 2019. Why did I know that? Uh, specifically, yeah, specifically focused around 
uh, enterprise plays, right? Oh, Helping people in manufacturing why. or, you know, whatever, right? Which is still, I think, one of the biggest use cases for augmented reality at all, right? Where construction yeah. at point of work is huge. So that makes yeah. a lot of sense. I was reading through and Focals um, is actually really neat. I don't know if you if you dug into it too much, but I, I guess their claim to fame, North, that is, that, that was so cool is that they have a really sort of sleek um, local projection system. So they have glasses that look like glasses. And so, so they look really nice and they look traditional. Um, and then they have a really compact method of displaying information on the lens. So uh, really cool. And, and we've talked about this on show a bunch. I think the, the biggest thing holding back massive adoption of AR wearables is look and feel. I, people want it to look like and be like glasses, sunglasses, you know, prescription lenses, whatever it mm-hmm. is, because it's, it's just familiar. And then two, it's got to be small enough that it's not cumbersome. And it looks like they did a darn good job of uh, yeah. nailing those to it at the very least. So yeah, that's hope. something North was doing doing very well at. And uh, their initial model was like a thousand bucks, and then they dropped it down to about six hundred. Oh, that's great um, too. Heading in the right direction as well. Yeah, so let's go. let's hope Google does the right things with them, right? And and doesn't yeah. end up shelving it. Yeah. All right. So speaking uh, more about Google, I saw an article this morning in The Verge. They are still paying Apple billions, $1.5 billion last year in 2019 to be the default search engine in Safari just in the UK. Whoa. <laughs> Help me make sense of that. Yeah. Wow. Super interesting too. I wonder... Because yeah, I don't know if you remember all of the antitrust stuff that happened to mm-hmm. Windows when they were putting... Um, uh, Internet Explorer was the default all the time. So they got sued into oblivion most often from like the EU and, and other government agencies, or at least as I recall. Yeah, I wonder if the way Safari gets around that is by just competing it. So we don't need to be the first one there, but every browser in every country is going to basically vie for that. And by vie, I mean pay me. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. That is the, that article, seems like an insane sum, but obviously Google makes a lot of money by being the default. Yeah, yeah. Well, the article gets into regulators being concerned. You know that there's a uh, a barrier to entry for other um, for other competitors, and as well, it says it's estimated that Apple benefits from roughly nine billion dollars a year from these placement deals. Wow. And then you remember that they're almost a $2 trillion company and you're like, oh, wait, that's not their valuation. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but that's insane from a revenue perspective. Yeah, it is. What uh, what percentage of the revenue is that? Nine billion is a lot of money, but what I I actually don't know. Like what what was Apple's? Yeah, 260.2 billion US dollars. So it's it's not huge, but it's a decent, decent almost 10 billion, right? That's uh, interesting. Very interesting. Oh, the okay. places they find to make money. Uh, yeah, yeah. I thought this one was cool too. So there's a new glove that translates American Sign Language into speech in real time. Oh, I so like brand new because I read something about something like that a long time ago, like a couple okay. of years. But it was it looked like a power glove from Nintendo, only ten times as heavy. And I was yeah. like, yeah, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I remember what you're talking about. No, this looks like a. It just looks like a um, a mitten that's got wires going up each of the fingers, and then there's like a little, um, you know, a, a little board on the back of the hand that's the size of maybe a kind of a silver dollar. 
you know, you know, right. that, yeah, one that sounds really cool. But you know what I just yeah. thought is that you know how um, in I guess the later AR VR headsets mm-hmm. they have hand tracking, so you yeah. don't necessarily have to have a remote. It's all baked in. I wonder if Sign ASL specifically can be registered from the viewer's perspective accurately. So you could, if if you were wearing a headset, if it could do that. But I guess regardless, yeah. if you were dealing with somebody that was actually able to get that feed, I, you could totally bake that into AR MR. You know, you wouldn't yeah, even no, need specialized gloves. Yeah. So, so some of the things that those headsets have problems with is seeing what's going on on the on the front side of the hand. Yeah, right? I would imagine because you know, yeah, the, the fingers get you know, blocked light. by yeah by the back of the hand. Yeah, <laughs> the way it moves. No, but but maybe they can still get to like strong predictive text. Yeah. You know what I mean for this? Well, well in, in real-time right. translation, like just the closer you get, the better off you are. Even a, I mean, okay, maybe not a bad translation is better than nothing, but I, arguably it is, right? Yeah. If if you were kind of go pull the babblefish story, if you're getting translation in real-time and you are unable to understand whatever language is being spoken to you, even a bad translation is probably better than nothing at all, especially sure. if you can couple it with body language. Yeah. What's neat about this? I mean, I mean, maybe you, you y'all already realize this, but it helps deaf people to communicate oh, with anyone, right? Without yeah. without needing an interpreter, right? You can walk in and you know order something very specific. Uh, how much before. How much American Sign Language do you know, Aaron? Uh, very little. Although yeah, I know like eight up, words, and yeah, they're good for talking up. to babies, not adults. So <laughs> that's true. They, actually, they would need the they would need those gloves to communicate with me effectively. Did you go, so did y'all do the baby sign language? A little bit, yeah. Julia yeah. in particular, she um my oldest, she she used to get really frustrated when she couldn't do anything almost immediately. Like she was mad when she couldn't lift her head up as a very little baby. And uh as she got older, the less she could communicate, the more frustrated she got. So she talked talked pretty early. She moved really early cuz she could reach things fast. Um Yeah. But yeah, for, for her, like the sign language was huge because her being able to say stuff like water and ball and really simple stuff was, was just massive. It kept her yeah. from throwing tantrums. Yeah. We did the same thing for any of y'all with brand new kids for the first time. Um, definitely, definitely look into this. Uh, there's a, oh, yeah. there's a, there's a number of resources. I remember, um, what was it called baby signing time? That was yeah. a good one. But, uh, but yeah, it allows kids to be able to communicate with you. Uh, before they know how to form the words so you'd be amazed at how early kids can can do some of those really like stuff stuff like water water was really big food hungry right these these really simple motions and if every time you feed them you do the motion um they will associate it with it and and they will be able to communicate like hunger through the food motion or eat really really early so it was really fun uh, for my wife and I to do that with with all three of our kids, and luckily we stumbled across it or, or were directed to it with our oldest too. So we we got lots of practice. Yeah, it's cool Very stuff. Cool. All right, another article I saw. Um, I think I posted about this, or not? I think I did post about this on Twitter a while back um, that you could go. So go to your um, your mobile phone, open up Google search browser. Right, this is not ad, an ad. This is not sponsored. Google's not paying us, uh, but they are paying Apple. Uh, this is Chrome. You're talking about opening Chrome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Excuse me. Well, yeah. It doesn't have to be Chrome. Sorry. Just okay. go to the Google browser. search engine. Yeah. Got it. And type in um, horse. And if you're on a mobile phone, it will give you an option to view in 3D. 
Cool. Google just added a whole bunch of dinosaurs to this. Yes. So go out in your yard and type in, you know, Tyrannosaurus Rex, right? And it will it will project a massive uh, T Rex life size kind of compared to. It. You'll have to kind of pan your phone around at first so it can get the dimensions, uh, and then it'll project it on your phone. Super cool. And they move around, right? So you can uh, you can get a, a number of different. Let's see, ten ten different dinosaurs at this point, and I'm not going to name them because I might mess them all up. But, Do uh, it. It's your T Rex, Velociraptors, it. your Triceratops. <laughs> Uh, your Stegosaurus, Brachiosaurus, and then uh, Tyrannodon. Tyrannodon. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Allosaurus, okay. is that one in there? Uh, the what? I said, is the Allosaurus in there? Uh, no, Ankylosaurus. Ankylosaurus. So, what about, what's the name of the one with like the big armored plate on its back and that giant ball? Is, is that, that the Spinosaurus? Is it that spi- that here, sounds made up. No, it's on here. It's on here. <laughs> Cool. Speaking of pteranodons and kids, if uh, if you have kids, Dinosaur Train is uh, wildly entertaining, even as an adult. That, so that is a funny show. Yeah, they did a good job. There are, there are lots and lots and lots of children's programming that is like incessant in the way that it is programmed, and it's just awful. And I also think it like there's this formulaic approach. What's the and I hate to knock it because the kids eat it up, so they obviously know what they're doing. But the ones that just seem like really loosely animated using computer generated animations and then like the talk tracks are bare bones just barely any substance at all no real moral just sort of aimless moving they are terrible as a Mm -hmm. parent to just hear even on in the background it's like no you can't watch that i can't handle it (laughs) shut it down (laughs) dinosaur trains that one's great yeah that's a good one (laughs) all right uh so (laughs) As per usual, going to get into a little bit of Facebook news here. Shocker. Um, so yesterday, Facebook announced that they were shutting down their Pinterest clone. Today, Facebook announced that they're shutting down Lasso, which is their TikTok clone. I, I had a, never knew I didn't either know either of, of those were existed. Yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously, that's not a good not a good look. That's why they're shutting them down. At least when it came to stuff like Google and Wave, I, I knew what that was. Google Plus, yeah. same thing. We we knew it wasn't popular, but I feel like everyone is aware of it. They just said, "Why? Well, I yeah. already have my thing, right?" Yeah, well, and it, it wasn't was, compelling. I didn't even know Facebook had those things. Yeah, well, that's Not, what I'm trying to say here. Like, yeah, why, that's crazy. What are they doing wrong? Because I mean, I literally have never even seen the platform, and it's been around for 18 months. I'm not a big Facebooker, but I will go on there occasionally when my wife is talking smack about me you know, or whatever, <laughs> uh, go on to defend myself or to brag about my kids, whatever, because that's what it is. But probably every other week, I think about deleting Facebook and I probably should, especially as <laughs> much as we talk about the issues and the next thing that's that I have to uh, cover here. But never once did I ever see anything about Lasso. Like nobody's that's, even publishing yeah. anything in Facebook that references Lasso. Nobody's publishing a lasso video or what? I don't know what it would yeah. even be. You know, I, I don't. Publishing I don't understand that either because I, I well, I get on Facebook even less, right? I mean, I still have an account. I'm probably not going to delete it. I don't really care. But I may have been on Facebook three times in the last two years. <laughs> so yeah, I tag very, you every now and then with these uh, these podcasts, but I, you know, I don't, I don't even see them. I see. I didn't even know that you were posting <laughs> podcast stuff on Facebook. That's yeah. hilarious. I had I had right. no idea. That's probably the most recent news anyone on Facebook has gotten about me 
forever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I just assumed when I when I saw this, when I saw the link show up in the notes, that they were doing these things through Facebook, and that's why I didn't see it. So you saying yeah. that you get on Facebook once in a while and you never saw it, it's like, wh- what happened? It was it. Yeah. They weren't willing to advertise it. That doesn't make any sense on their own platform, or maybe it does. I don't know. They probably do have to compete internally for the advertising slices. But I, I like what? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Okay. I got one minute before I got to jump to my next call. Um, but continuing with Facebook and why we should probably get off of it. Oh yeah. This, uh, they this admit is once again, yeah, to wrongly sharing user data with third-party apps. Yep. Uh, I saw that. And, and what was interesting about that is that they claim they found a method uh, that developers could have used to get that accidentally shared information and that they closed it really fast. But they did not disclose how much data got scraped, right? Mm. And so the idea of Facebook just finding it as opposed to, oh, no, look at all this data that was taken. We better fix that now. Yeah. One of those is far more likely than the other. So it's interesting that they aren't disclosing it. Yeah. Well, what's wild about this, so it's, they estimated, Facebook estimated that uh, around 5,000 third-party app developers Mm -hmm. continued to receive information about users who had previously used Facebook to sign into those apps, even if they had revoked that or uh, hadn't used the app in the past, you know, 90 days or whatever. They were just continuing to get fed information. Ugh. So, okay. Uh, There's a bunch more I wanted to cover, but we're out of time. So we will catch up with y'all, I guess, Monday because today's Thursday and everyone's off tomorrow and I'm going to be driving to the mountains. Are we not doing it tomorrow? Day off. That's a good question. I don't know. Uh, Russ had offered to stand in for you. So maybe we could do it tomorrow. I'll have to talk to Rustopher. All right. Shut it down, big dog. Y'all have a great day. All right. Yeah. Everybody have a fantastic Thursday. Um, for those of you that have tomorrow off, enjoy yourselves, enjoy the long weekend and uh, happy Canada day, a day late to everyone uh, up in the great white North. I learned about that. I actually saw a really funny comic about it being Canada's birthday and then the United States just saying, what are you talking about? It's all about me tomorrow. Anyways, happy 4th of July. Uh, since we won't talk to you between now and then. And that brings another Tech Breakfast podcast to a close. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And as always, if you got news we missed, general feedback, or you want to come join us on the show, let us know. Hit us up. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Happy Independence Day, America. Have a great weekend, folks. We'll talk to you on Monday, maybe tomorrow. Booyah, Grandma. (laughs) Peace. (laughs) 